Hi, this is Jeff Coburn. We welcome you to this Disney at Play podcast. Well, it's been a little over a year since Space 220 opened at Epcot in Walt Disney World. As part of world discovery, it complements the out-of-this-world themes found in Mission Space and in the recent Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind. So we take the opportunity to grab a reservation and dine among the stars, as well as a few floating astronauts. We'll share what this experience was like in terms of what I define as the six P's of promise, people, place, process, product, and price. Does Space 220 truly elevate your dining experience? Is it worth the value and the price, especially when you think of so many other dining options around this park? Last week, we reviewed five restaurants around World Showcase. How do these compare? We'll find out in this upcoming podcast. Make sure you check out Disney at Play, Com, where we'll have some video of Space 20 and a number of images and, uh, and kind of give you a whole sense of what we have to offer as part of this experience. Now, um, let me begin with the concept of promise. And the idea is that you promise something, you give somebody the idea of doing something, and of creating a certain product or set of services. And then you deliver on four Ps, which is called people, place, process, and product. And then you ask yourself at the end, is it worth the price? So what is, what is, what is the intent of Space 220? Well, guests visiting Epcot board what's called a Stellarvator. Space, it's a space elevator that takes them from Epcot directly up on a simulated journey about 220 miles or 355 kilometers up to what is known as Centauri Space Station. It is there that they are able to dine among the stars while looking back down on this beautiful planet. Now, interestingly enough, this restaurant has its roots in a lot of park attractions over the years. It is a, back in 1955, one of the original Disneyland attractions was something called Space Station X-1, which was later renamed to Satellite View of America in 1958 or so. And what it is, is it you stepped in front of this big circular screen, which showed America from space. And they had done it in a way where it, it revolved um, and you um, actually could see it at night as well as during uh, the day. Um, here, um, you have uh, also a healthy dose of what is known as the original flight to the moon and then later the original uh, mission to Mars, not the one that sits right next to it, but there used to be an attraction, and actually it was, both of those attractions were housed in the theaters where Stitch's Great Escape was at the Magic Kingdom. And those attractions allowed you to look down toward the center of the bottom and at the top and see your ship take off. And the same kind of experience uh, takes place in this Stellarvator that you have. 
there are even concepts from the land, the living seas, and horizons that are kind of acknowledged here. So there's something very familiar about this experience. And they're giving you a sense that, hey, you want to dine in space. This is it. We're promising you an experience where you dine in space. And uh, for me personally, what I what really attracted me to visiting this restaurant was that um, my first, um, even before I, I came full-time with Disney, I was working as a contractor in Italy around World Showcase. But the reason I say that is over time, I have come to know every corner. There is just very, very little I haven't seen of Epcot, both on stage and backstage. So the thought that there's this whole new place in Epcot I've never been to seemed like a, a fascinating thing to do. And I was excited to see, you know, how they carried it out and how it would complement um, this whole world discovery thing. Now, world, future world, you know, Epcot was originally future world and world showcase. So it was really two big lands. In this case, they have divided up future world into um into uh world discovery uh world nature and world celebration and with that they've kind of because it's now three instead of one they've been adding an additional experience or attraction to each one so what is um um this moana water experience um, is going to be part of world nature. The um, uh, Communicore uh, facility that is being built right now at Epcot, it is part of world celebration. And Space 220 has been added to um, the, the scape at um, world discovery. So it's, it's really kind of rounding out those three offerings. Although a lot has gone away, a lot of things like inventions, but it's rounding out that. So it's it's part of not just the promise of going to space, it's part of what becomes the total world discovery experience. So on that note, <clears throat> um, what is it like to go and dine in space? Well, I'm going to go in order of people, place, process, and product to kind of break it all down. Actually, you know what? I should start with the place because it's so a part. Uh, well, no, no, no. I'm going to start with people. Sorry. I keep going back and forth. I think to understand the people aspect of this, you need to understand who runs the restaurant. The staff at the restaurant is part of what's known as the Patina Group. This is a restaurant company that is known by Disney fans, at least, as running restaurants at both Walt Disney World and Disneyland Resort. So, for instance, if you have ever eaten at Tutto Italia, Tutto Gusta, or Via Napoli in Epcot, in, and we just reviewed Via Napoli recently, it was a, it was a pleasant experience. Um, any rate, those three restaurants in Italy are ran by the Patina Group. Uh, Maria and Enzo's Pizza Ponte's, which is right next door to it at Disney Springs, Morimoto Asia, Enzo's Hideaway, and the Edison, which is formerly the space occupied by the Adventures Club. All of those restaurants at Disney Springs 
are also ran by the Patina uh, group. But wait, there's more. At Disneyland, when you are downtown Disney, the Taqueria, Napolini Pizzeria, Tortillo Joe's, Uva Bar and Cafe, uh, Naples Ristorante, a bar, and Catal Restaurant, all of those, which make up pretty much the bulk of the dining experience, uh, well, I mean, there are a couple other others, but it makes up more than half of the dining experiences at Downtown Disney in Disneyland are ran by the Patina Group. And of all of these at both Walt Disney World and Disneyland, I have to say, I have eaten at almost all of them. I've not done Maria Enzo's, although it has a beautiful interior, very much like a, uh, an old uh, airport terminal. I haven't had that chance for whatever reason, just hadn't timed out right. But everything else I have, I have dined at. And I got to tell you that by and large, I've enjoyed the experience. Now, if you recall, I talked a little bit about the other day in my conversation about, about um, the customer experience that on a, if you survey somebody on a scale of one to five and somebody gives you a five out of five, that is an emotional moment where they're going, wow, that is amazing. And you want to tell everybody about it. And I t- talked about it in the context of having seen um, the new Cirque du Soleil show. Uh, one, by the way, is also emotional, um, very emotional choice. And that means I'm just sick of it and upset and frustrated and angry, um, disappointed, all those feelings. So both of those are emotional feelings and they usually they usually cause you to have, um, some, they usually cause you to have some kind of outcome which is what I've got to go back and do that again or I got to tell others about it or something of that nature or on the other scale I'm going to write management and tell them how terrible it was or I'm going to go tell guest relations or something like that these restaurant experiences the interesting thing about it is by and large if you add them all up they add up to largely probably an average of four out of five they are good, very good, but none of them are wow experiences. So this was going to be an interesting opportunity because the idea of doing something so immersive as to, um, to provide a restaurant in space, this is an opportunity to ha- create a wow experience. By the way, um, Patina Group is no, owned by, apparently owned by the Delaware Group, or Delaware North Group. Um, and it runs, curiously enough, it runs food and beverage and retail for the Kennedy Space Center. Now, I got to tell you, with people ask me about going to the Kennedy Space Center, I tell them, yeah, you really need to go. It is a wow experience, too. Almost not quite a 5, maybe a 4.8. If there's one thing that really drags it down... It's the food and beverage and the retail experience at, at the Kennedy Space Center. The exhibits are amazing and impressive and inspiring. The food and beverage and retail is just, it's awful. It's just awful there. And yet these are the people who own the Patina Group. Now, all that said and done, um, 
there were a lot of talented wait staff working at the restaurant. They were all professional. They all interacted with us. They stayed in character to the setting. They remembered uh, I was with the Zanolas and they remembered Leah's birthday and brought out a little dessert to her. Um, this, these are the kind of cast members, by and large, you want at a Disney park. Um, I'm not sure what's happening with the kitchen. That's a conversation we're going to go to soon enough. But, but the people who are out there as part of the waiting staff, um, they really are pretty good. Uh, again, I would say 4 to 4.5. Um, but very good and excellent are two different things. And so that's where this all becomes a head scratcher. And that's what brings us to place because part of the arrival experience is a wow experience. Well, I say that because when you arrive at this restaurant, you are going to a podium on the far right of the Mission Space Pavilion. And and we're all, I'm assuming most people here are familiar with Mission Space and, and that kind of feeling. So so, um, so you're getting a sense. I mean, I, I hear the audio in the background and I hear music and quotes by John F. Kennedy about going to space and so forth. It's very, it's a, it's a very cool experience, even better at night. Um, you go from a podium around a corner into a little garden area that's outside. I guess this is, up a little space terrace to park your um park your stroller so nothing eventful of that nothing impressive and nothing that lent toward the experience then you walk into a lobby with some um large murals on it um uh talking about elevating your dining and a check-in place and a, a few seats over to the side but there were probably about uh, 30 people in this waiting space waiting to board we waited probably about 15 minutes maybe 16 17 it wasn't forever but we stood the whole time because there weren't enough chairs and there wasn't anything really remarkable that set the stage for this so i was a little disappointed even before we boarded our stellivator that said boarding the stellivator Oh my goodness, that is impressive for the most part. I say that because what you see as you you, you look, there are two portals. You, you surround this, and by the way, you can see the, the movie of this showing but not only the takeoff but the return to Earth and what the restaurant all looks like. But when you, um, when you uh, take off, you could see um, Florida from below, you could see, and it looks quite accurate, to be honest. And then you see space above you, and you see the space station, the Centauri space station, space station as you approach it, and it's and it's the two are tethered, and that tether takes you up supposedly. Uh, the sound effects, the the woofers, the 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 imagery, the lighting. All of it contributes to a pretty wild experience. The only thing, and it reminded me of the Living Seas, the only thing it remind, I thought about was the Hydrolator. This is very comparable to the Hydrolator. If you remember, the original Living Seas had these elevators that took you down five fathoms or whatever it was to the bottom of the ocean floor where you would then 
uh, board sea cabs that took you out. Well, all that was taken down and a larger attraction was made of Finding Nemo, which honestly is a better thing in the end. Although that could be improved upon. But notwithstanding, the the hydrolator actually had a little mechanism on the floor of it so that when you took off and when you landed, it buckled a little. The same thing occurred actually in um, Mission to Space and I believe also the original Rocket to the Moon um, experience, Flight to the Moon, not Rocket to the Moon, but Flight to the Moon, where there was this bladder or something on your seat and the cushion raised and went up or down. And, and it gave you a kind of a surprising jolt. It was the only the only thing that, that was a wow in that early, early Tomorrowland attraction. But um, I just kind of, but there wasn't anything like that on the Stellivator. It was just, it was just that the woofers were making a lot of noise and it felt like it was shaking a little bit. But it really wasn't that impressive in that regard. Now you step off into the space station boarding it's very impressive. It looks very Epcot-like. Um, you'll remember that the land originally used to have these revolving drums. They may have also been depicted in a slightly different form in Horizon. But they had these revolving drums that, with cabbage or lettuce uh, attached to them. And they m went in motion in the... And the notion was is that these were experiments to show how we would grow uh, food out in space where there is no gravity. And, and so you had this these drums. Well, they had a massive size one, or a pretty good size one, about 10, 15, 12, 15 feet wide. And it was a drum that was rotating with, these, with this um, produce, so to speak. Uh, on it, I, I thought it was a, a great nod to the experience. And then you turn the corner and you walk into the dining space. The dining room is one very large room. And in front of you are a multiple set of, of windows that just look out over space and you see the planet below. And at some point, somebody's wandering by a spaceship or um, some astronauts doing repairs or something of that nature. It is a wow moment to step out into this dining experience and to look across space. Now, and, and even, even the restrooms, I have to say, which um, had their own kind of design thematic element to it, but it was playing audio in it. And you heard these announcements being being made in the restroom. So um, there was a lot of attention to detail on the larger imagineering effort here, by and large. It break it falls apart a little um, in in the actual the furnishings themselves. The tables really kind of looked like you got them at a at a at a contemporary furniture store it, it maybe a high-end ikea or something i it, it wasn't that impressive we were in booths i liked that a whole lot more but the carpet looked I, I, they should have done something different on the carpet and it just looked 
really plain. It looked like it belonged in a, in a, in a, in a employee cafeteria. Um, the furnishings and and the and the carpet looked like it belonged in an employee cafeteria. It was not in any way impressive uh, seeing all this. Um, now, the big thing in the place is space. And you do see this beautiful planet below you illuminated. And you do see they've done this kind of two mirror thing, which is also done in Guardians of the Galaxy, where where the astronauts and the ships are projected on top of that with the Earth beneath, behind it. So you get something of a multiplane effect by seeing this. And that was kind of cool. And, and you kind of see one point there were... <laughs> There were two astronauts who had lightsabers and they were kind of goofing around playing um, playing with their lightsabers in space. But by and large, most of these figures, most of these things are very um, far away um, in the distance. It, you don't see a lot of details to them. It was, you know, we anytime something came onto the screen, we, we took a look at it and, and we studied it. But after a while, it it wasn't enough to hold you through it. That kind of brings me to process. In process, first of all, reservations. Um, the reason it's been largely a year, it's been difficult to get into. I don't have the effort, you know, I'll go onto the app, but if you're using the app to get into it, you'll never get into it. Um, David used Stakeout, which provides dining alerts for getting into Disney restaurants. And he has been successful uh, a couple of times getting reservations through that. And, um, and that worked. And that's what gave us a reservation. Uh, we wanted to get into a, a seating for lunch as opposed to dinner, which is essentially um, um, to, um, it's a fixed menu. And here you had... Uh, in the lunch experience, an appetizer and dinner included in that. Um, so reservations were a little difficult to get into. And seating it took a long, um, it was a long way from check-in to seating. I mean, by the time we'd stood in line at the front and then gone to the room, and it had been about 15, 20 minutes, not not the end of the world, but uh, it just, because the place wasn't very impressive, in that portion of the wait, I um, it it seemed a little tedious. The conversation was good. The um, then the billing process at the end, it just seemed to take a long time for us to get our bill and get out there, and and I just, I got to a point now, mind you, it wasn't like I was going to go anywhere in Epcot. I I needed to get back to the house eventually, and so. But I kept thinking, if I were a guest, I'd be wanting to go do my next thing in the park, go check out Test Track or maybe see Mission Space or maybe I've got a, a pass for Guardians of the Galaxy. So I just kept feeling like this seemed like a long time to get through the dining experience. So that's the people. The people are good. The place, at times stellar, at other times kind of mundane. The process, not really, you know, processes are supposed to make your guest experience better. Nothing really did that for us. Then you get into product. And in this case, what we're largely talking about 
um, is the meal. Uh, there are a number of appetizers to choose from. There is the Bing, Big Bang Burrata, which is essentially a mozzarella-type um, salad. There is Starry Calamari, which is largely fried octopus. There is Blue Moon Cauliflower, which is tempura fried cauliflower. There is Neptuna Niqua, which is a tuna salad with... Uh, tomatoes and potatoes and olives. There's Centauri's Caesar salad. Uh, there's a roasted beet salad. And then there's just space greens, which is um, lettuce, honey crisp apples, cornbread croutons, so forth. Um, Leah chose the crouton or the space greens, which had these huge croutons. I tried them, they, they were quite good. The salad was immense. The salad almost constituted a meal, although they do offer a steak salad as well. Um, she didn't finish hers. I didn't feel like there, and I don't think she felt like there was enough um, uh, dressing, but she could have asked for more. It wasn't It wasn't a big hang-up. Um, I took on the Starry Calamari, which actually was a good... Um, uh, was well done and it was um, uh, there was plenty of it it was a good portion size David took on the Big Bang Burrata with the mozzarella he seemed to like that that was well our appetizers were good they weren't great but they were good very good maybe even somewhere between a three and a four our dinner selections were twofold David got the steak and frites, which is basically steak and Disney fries. Now, the minute you start hosting Disney fries, you, it's going to be really hard to get past a three on a one to five scale. Um, we, uh, both Leah and I, chose to go with the Gemini Burger, which was a signature beef blend, white cheddar cheese, bacon, shredded lettuce, tomatoes, fried potato wedges, uh, roasted pep red pepper, citrus aioli. Um, I love, I actually loved, I'm wild, no, but a 4.5 maybe was the fried potato wedges. The hamburger was also maybe a 4.2. It wasn't anything stellar, um, but it was very good. They also have spaghetti and shrimp, our uh, space getty and shrimp. They also have stuffed jumbo shells. They also have roasted chicken breast. Uh, they also have a steak salad, as I mentioned. They have a galactic miso salmon, and they have a rocket flame tiered tuna. Um, uh, by the way, um, one of the reasons that David chose the steak and frites was because it was a coffee space rub flat iron with fries, broccolini, and chimichurri, and he really likes the chimichurri sauce so we went with that again it was good but there was nothing really great about it and when we finally got around to uh looking you you can choose to add um the dessert to it and the dessert um included a carrot cake a peanut caramel comet which is not it sounds like a peanut caramel vomit, 
But it's actually vanilla tart, candy peanuts, caramel popcorn, white chocolate cream. I was tempted on that one. At $14, not so tempted. But uh, And I frankly was full from the meal. The chocolate cheesecake is another choice. A gelato and sorbet and a pistachio and citrus, which is a pistachio mousse with an orange sorbet uh, and sauce. Um, all of those are... Uh, well, the gelato is $10. Everything else is a $14 dessert. That's a high end on dessert. But that leads us all into the conversation about price. Now, when I talk about price, I talk about two things. The tangible price, what was the price tag of it, but also the intangible price. What um, what were the hidden costs or the the things that that you missed, that you paid a price um, waiting in line extensively or having your bill incorrect and having to address it might be an intangible price. None of those things happen, but the tangible price for lunch is 55 a person plus plus meaning tax and tip. And that's for the two course meal. Um, we got there at about three o'clock in the afternoon or just before, no, 3.15 and we were able to do the lunch menu, which allowed us to stay at that two course uh, price. Dinner is $79 for a three-course meal, meaning you're adding one of those dessert choices we, we read about. Um, I think this is probably, let's just talk about the tangible price for a moment. I think this is the struggle I have with this because um, $55 is a lot for a hamburger, even if you add calamari to it. Um, it was, I've had more expensive meals, um, but I, I'm struggling to have spent that much on that meal for that food. The food was not that big a wow, um, to justify. Now the wow that comes is going into space or supposedly having this experience of feeling like you are 220 miles above earth. And that is, that is, that is cool. And I will have to say, I'm glad I did it because I wanted to see what the experience of going into space was. So it was worth the price. But now having done it, would I go back to it? Is it a five where I'm in a wow where I've got to go back and see it? No, that's the problem. And this is why I'm titling this Lost in Space 220 because I think the food is lost in this package. I think there are little details that if you address them, they're, they're low, no cost details. If you address them, a low, no cost meaning, you can change the menu out. And, and if you were to do that, I think I'd even pay $60 or $65 for a really good meal, maybe even 70 for a really great meal. And I might come back to it, but there was nothing that was telling me I should ever come back. Now, maybe, maybe breakfast, um, if they offered that. Um, but value is measured in terms of repeatability. And I'm really struggling to do that again. Then you add the intangible price. The intangible price is you could have eaten elsewhere. And at Epcot, there are choices. Or simply, you could have done something else with your time. You could have gone for 20, 25 bucks and sampled three different booths 
in a fraction of the time and done a major attraction at Epcot. And with time being a premium, that's that's something to consider. For that kind of pricing, you could have gone, I think the pricing for the to go to a restaurant dining experience, have a really nice lunch or dinner, and then go to the um to the uh, candlelight processional is a better value to be honest that's an intangible price i have made this comparison before and i think it it's worthy of making a comparison again let's just take a look at the other restaurant at epcot where you sit in a room in a big room and you look out windows that restaurant is the coral reef at the living seas and i have to tell you the coral reef is and remember i said i felt like the furnishings of the restaurant the, the 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 layout of the restaurant was not impressive at mission space at the coral reef they have very fine furnishings it's all set in these these booths are set with these tile walls that are just gorgeous and beautiful and then you have the view which is an amazing aquarium with more life to come see life that is real. You're not looking at a fake imaginary driven kind of thing. You are looking at a, at real sea life in a massive tank. And in fact, it has actually the best views of the tank at, at um, the living seas are from the coral reef. And so if I had a choice of taking my clients somewhere, I think I would probably go back to the coral reef because I think I think the one-time aspect you you can do it one time, but really, uh, you you've lost me to come back again. I think that's the challenge. Now, could they fix it? Could they make some changes? Maybe, but because the concept is a great one, but there's still things that need to be addressed. Well, that does it for this Disney at Play podcast. So grateful that you joined us. I hope you caught the last podcast, which dealt with three leadership lessons from A Tale of Two Bobs, dealing with Bob Chapek and Bob Iger. Um, And previous to that, we did take a look at five different restaurants around uh, World Showcase. Um, All of some, which Via Napoli is a patina restaurant. So you may... um, all of them were very good or very good. None of them were a wow comeback restaurant. But your experience might be different. So you might check out that podcast. You also might check out our Patreon group, which is called the Wayfinder Society. And it gives you access to some wonderful um, tools that allow you to explore the world of Disney, both in terms of being a fan and also in terms of best in business practices that you can take and apply back to your organization. Thanks for being part of this podcast. Thanks for joining us. And in the words of Sinbad's storybook voyage at Tokyo Disney, always follow the compass of your heart. Have a great day. We'll see you real soon. Music